Across the margin. Across the margin. Podcast. to Across the Margin, the podcast, where we take you beyond the margin, behind the scenes of the magazine, and deeper into the stories. I am your host, Michael Shields, and today we have for you a fascinating podcast, I believe, and it's one that can be essentially divided up into two parts, where we have two uh, distinct interviews um, from two eminent meteorologists. Um, and it's about a topic that we are very passionate about over here, a, a subject matter that we are trying to fully understand, and um, that, is, uh, that is climate change. Ever since this podcast took off, I've wanted to do a podcast that focused on the science behind climate change. And, and while we have gone deep on the subject um, before on the podcast, most notably from Washington, D.C., uh, during the uh, climate march, Mostly, we discussed at that point the politics of climate change. And today, um, that changes as we have the opportunity to leave the politics behind, well, mostly, and get into all the evidence and, and the numbers and, and all the pertinent, pertinent technical information that, that must be understood in order to begin to fully grasp what is, uh, what is occurring. So in this, uh, the first half of this interview, I had the pleasure, uh, I have the pleasure of presenting to you an interview I conducted with John Morales. John Morales is uh, the chief meteorologist at NBC6 in South Florida. He's a three-time Emmy Award winner and the longest tenured broadcast meteorologist in South Florida. In 1997, John participated in Vice President, President Al Gore's White House Conference on global warming and climate change. And he has had the opportunity to return to the White House at the invitation of President Barack Obama in 2014 for the release of the National Climate Assessment uh, because of his contributions. Um, so he's well-versed in the topic. Uh, it has been become a passion of his to share his knowledge on the topic. And, and in this interview, um, you'll, you'll see just how just how passionate he is about it, just how much he knows. It's, it's a concise interview. It's, it's, we spoke for about 20 minutes, but it's, it's amazing the, the array of topics within the subject matter that, that, um, that we got into. And, and you know, I, I think it's an important interview. It's enlightening. And um, I think you're really, really going to enjoy it. So here, um, here's my interview with John Morales. John, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Your um, your contributions to the science of climate change are uh, are immense, and uh, 
your passion for communicating, the risk associated, um, uh, it's inspiring. And so thank you so much for making the time. Well, listen, it's great uh, to have this invitation. Uh, obviously, it's important to, uh, uh, to make sure that everybody knows what's going on and, and what this tremendous challenge that we face in the 21st century is all about. Uh, so I'm glad, uh, I'm glad to be on, Michael. Great, great. Thank you. And um, so let's, uh, let's jump right into it. As I know, you're speaking to us literally between newscasts. Um, and so let me begin by asking you if you could elaborate. And I'm going to kind of speak a little bit broadly here. Um, and if you could just elaborate a little bit on some of the hard ev- evidence that climate change is occurring and, and that humans are indeed responsible, if you can lighten us a little bit on that. I know that's broad scope, but whatever you got for us, I'd love to hear. Well, I mean, I guess in the most basic terms, we have an observational record, right? We have all these observing platforms around the globe, both on Earth and and over water, and uh, they show a significant warming during the last 125 years or so. The, the, the 125 years, I'm telling you, is the, the length of the most reliable records that we have. Mm-hmm. Yes, obviously, temperatures were measured before that time, but in the last 125 years, we've got the most reliable readings, and all of those show an upward inclination in the uh, temperatures across the globe to the point where we're basically one degree Celsius above uh, the temperatures on average across the Earth uh, of where they were pre, uh, pre-industrialization of, of, uh, of our economy, of mm-hmm. our society. Uh, there's also uh, the records from satellites. Of course, those don't date back 125 years. They're much more recent. But we do have at least three decades' worth of uh, uh, constant uh, measurements from space uh, to where we're measuring not just what goes on at the surface, but also what's going on uh, vertically in the atmosphere. So uh, as we look at what's going on in, in the lowest level of the atmosphere, which is basically where all the weather is contained, so mm-hmm. let's talk about the, the lowest 10 miles approximately of our atmosphere, uh, that also has been warming, and we're showing records in recent years of the warmest uh, periods on record for the atmosphere as a whole, as measured from satellites. The the, uh, uh, sea surface temperatures are warmer, too, pretty Mm -hmm. much all across the globe, with a couple of very notable exceptions, Uh, one near near and just south of Greenland, where there appears to be, yeah, there appears to be a significant contribution from the melting of uh, fresh water, in other words, the melting of ice. Yes. Becoming fresh water and uh, leaking out into the Atlantic off of Greenland and, and uh, the Arctic. Yep. Uh, so so uh, overall, uh, we've, we've got a very reliable record of how temperatures have been increasing across the globe. So global warming is therefore happening. Sure. Now the question is, have humans contributed to it? Mm-hmm. And uh, we know uh, from our uh, contributions to uh, carbon dioxide uh, as a greenhouse gas in our atmosphere uh, that uh, we are seeing increasing amounts of carbon dioxide to the point where uh, today we're measuring about 410 parts per million of carbon dioxide mm-hmm. in the air as compared to 280 parts per million, which uh, we used to measure. And we, we, by the way, we measure this uh, by looking at air bubbles trapped in ice cores in the poles. Oh, wow. okay. So we can, yeah, we can see the composition 
we can measure the composition of how the air was in the past going back centuries by looking at what's trapped inside those bubbles that's in the ice, the ice cores. It's when you bore down into the ice and you extract a vertical core of ice. And and the the further down on that uh, column of ice that you go, the furthest back you're looking at in in the number of years. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And therefore, we know that we were steady at 280 parts per million for literally centuries uh, before we started to inject uh, carbon dioxide through the burning of fossil fuels uh, into our atmosphere, and now we're up to 410 parts per million. There's also methane and nitrous oxide and a few others, but those those are the most important. Now, I I did want to point out, you know, it it might not sound like a lot when you talk about 410 Parts parts per million. But carbon dioxide is a very, very important greenhouse gas, mm-hmm. and it doesn't take a lot of, of change in that area of this trace gas to see more and more heat being trapped in our atmosphere. The way it gets trapped is uh, we get energy from the sun, uh, the earth absorbs the energy from the sun, and then releases that energy back into space. But not all of the energy that's released back into space in the form of infrared radiation Uh makes it back into space because our atmosphere, through these greenhouse gases, traps some of the outgoing infrared radiation and keeps it inside our atmosphere. So greenhouse gases include water vapor, carbon dioxide, methane, uh, nitrous oxide, and a few others. And uh, the the carbon dioxide is the, the variable that's been changing, that has not been constant. It has been increasing, and all along, as it's been increasing, our temperatures have been increasing. So this science is well established, and it's considered to be scientific theory, and uh, there's a mountain of evidence to support that anthropogenic, in other words, human-induced climate yeah, change, is, is indeed occurring. Is indeed real. Um, I know you mentioned the Arctic, and I know that you took a trip to the Arctic Pole in, uh, I think it was 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Um, did you witness any, um, you know, personally, any indication of climate change? Was there anything you could tell physically was happening? Well, the trip was fascinating. Yes, indeed, I was on the National Geographic Explorer about okay. a year ago uh, in June of 2016 and uh, had an opportunity to travel to the northernmost reaches of Norway, not uh-huh. mainland Norway, but Svalbard, which is an archipelago, uh, located, uh, well, I mean, uh, up to 80 degrees north latitude. So we're talking well within the Arctic Circle, which starts at 67 and a half degrees latitude, and only about 500 miles from the pole. Oh. So we, we were way, way up there within the Arctic Sea, and uh, quite a fascinating trip uh, just because of uh, the contrasts that you see up there in the Arctic, um, and yes, some of the changes that are already quite palpable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, uh, I was up there in the month of June. I was speaking to the captain of the National Geographic Explorer, who told me that uh, not 10 years ago, they couldn't do these trips in the month of June. They would have to wait until July, because the ice was jammed up against the uh, north shore of um, Spitsbergen, which is the largest island of the Svalbard archipelago. Mm -hmm. Uh, So therefore, it was unpassable to uh, all ships except for icebreakers, and the National Geographic Explorer is not an icebreaker. Uh, so, so you couldn't even get up there in June. And he added, the captain did, that now they're starting their trips as early as the month of May. Oh, so, so yeah, so... Well. 
Exactly. So, so places that were totally frozen um, up until July are now opening up as early as June or even May. Uh, hey, I mean, that might be great for tourism, but it's also uh, an indicator yeah. that things are happening quickly in the Arctic and that we're seeing dramatic changes at a very fast pace. And, and, and I'll add the fast pace element to all this because, you know, yes, uh, the climate has been changing for eons, mm. all right? And we've always seen changes sure. uh, they're, they're linked to um, uh, orbital uh, variations of how the Earth orbits around the sun. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even the, the output of energy from our sun can vary as well. The tilt of the Earth has been different in different uh, uh, epochs. Yeah. Uh, but None of those things are happening right now. In other words, we the solar indications, the orbital indications, uh, the short-term variations like volcanic eruptions that can also change climate, all of that, if left to natural forcing, would point to a cooling atmosphere, not a warming atmosphere right now. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the opposite. So that's further evidence that it's man-made and that it has everything to do with the enhanced uh, greenhouse gases. Plus, the rate of change is the fastest we've seen um, uh, in in uh, in all the records that we've been able to ascertain. In other words, ice cores, mm-hmm. sediment at the bottom of the oceans. Mm-hmm. This this rate at which the temperature Temperature is increasing in our atmosphere is the fastest ever recorded. That's, that's chilling. Uh, to, that's the first word that comes to mind there. Um, speaking of, you know, I was just we were just talking about what you saw in the Arctic. Um, you are it, located in Miami, um, a coastal town, so rising sea levels uh, would be obviously a major concern. Um, I was researching a little bit about king tides and and how cities like Miami are already seeing concerns over higher than usual king tides and and coastal flooding um, caused by them. Can you explain to the listeners and and myself, of course, um, what exactly are king tides and explain some of the effects climate change is already having uh, right now on, on coastal cities? Right, so the king tide is named the king tide because it's the highest uh, or tallest uh, tide of the year. And it, it happens in the fall, generally when the, the um, uh, moon is at its closest point of approach to Earth in its orbit, when it's at perigee. Cool. Um, and and, and when, when the sun, Earth, and moon are aligned, that's when we see the, uh, the largest tides, the largest variation in tides between the high and the low tide each day. Mm-hmm. Because you've got a, a greater gravitational pull upon on the surface of the earth, and therefore you get these the, the water bulging out just a bit in the oceans. That's how the tides are generated. But what's happening now, on top of the normal astronomical king tide produced by that gravitational pull, is that we've got sea level rise exacerbating the height of the highest of the tides. Mm. So uh, king tides, which tend to happen in the fall, usually peaking around October, uh, you know, the, the, the full moon arrives in October and suddenly uh, we see sunny day, saltwater flooding mm-hmm. in many communities here wow. in the Miami and Fort Lauderdale area. So not a drop of rain, and yet the streets are flooded, the roads are, are sometimes impassable, um, and the water is coming up. Uh, this is kind of hard for people, people to comprehend. It, it's not that the water is coming up the beach above a dune and then reaching the street. 
Uh, okay. It's that the the water is actually coming up through the drains, the street oh. uh, drainage, uh, instead of working <laughs> to drain all the water out, is working as a conduit to bring yeah to bring the salt water in from Biscayne Bay, from the Atlantic Ocean, up into these neighborhoods. And uh, yes, it happens a lot in coastal communities like Miami Beach and Fort Lauderdale, yeah. but it also happens in inland neighborhoods. Really? Uh, west of, yeah, west of the I-95 corridor, we've seen places, there's a, a community known as a Shorecrest. Okay. Very close to I-95, just east of I-95, to be precise. And uh, Shorecrest now, there's talks and debates and discussions as to whether they, the residents should just retreat, meaning that it's become so difficult to live there uh, during the king tide in the fall and expected to become uh, a, a not just a king tide problem but become a year-round problem for Shorecrest, that they're starting to consider where, whether they should just abandon the neighborhood. Mm. And there's debates as to, you know, whether the government is going to be involved and how all that's going to be handled. There was an article article in the Miami Herald very recently, and I encourage everybody to, to uh, Google Shorecrest, that's one word, mm-hmm. uh, Miami Herald sea level rise. And uh, everyone will be able to read about what the debate is right now for, for Shorecrest. And, and I say that because I want people to realize that this is a today problem already. This is not a 2050 problem. This is not a 2100 problem. It's happening already in some communities in South Florida. It's happening in Norfolk, Virginia. It's happening in coastal communities of Georgia mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and um, it's it's definitely become an economic issue. A lot of money is being spent to raise roads, to install pumps. I mean, you talk about a carbon tax, and, and you know, it's a very controversial issue, but uh-huh. this is a de facto carbon tax yeah. because your tax dollars are going towards the raising of the roads and the installing of the pumps to be able to keep the streets dry and, and allow for these communities to survive a few more years before they're completely overwhelmed by sea level rise. That's intense because you do. You hear uh, so often projections, you know, 30, 50 years out. And I mean, what we're talking about here is is it happening in real time and how it's already affecting. That's that's definitely uh, that's definitely noteworthy. I've, um, I, I have heard you talk about how America is the only country where climate change is a political subject, and meaning that, you know, in, in many of these other developed countries, it's just considered fact that it's happening. Um, do you have, have any thoughts on, on how this can change in this country? I mean, my guess is the education, the answer is education. It's, and, and, you know, kind of what we're doing here is, is, is that the answer? Well, I, I definitely agree with that. I think yeah. uh, education and, um, uh, I mean, listen, uh, uh, anthropogenic climate change is possibly uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, challenges that humanity faces in this century because it needs to be acted upon now. Yeah. You know, it's not something that we can uh, uh, let pass and, and, and start acting upon it in, in 2050 or the second half of the century. It needs to be done quickly if we're going to limit the warming to a, let's, let's call it a tol- tolerable amount. Yeah. Uh, because if you, if you get runaway warming, where instead of uh, keeping it at 2 degrees Celsius, it becomes 4 or 6 or 8 degrees Celsius, then we've got rapid melting of the, of the um, uh, ice sheets, 
We've got a very rapid rise of uh, sea levels, uh, six or even eight feet, as NOAA, our own National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration here in this country, uh, updated their most extreme scenarios for the year 2100, indicating that if we don't mitigate, if we don't find a way to curtail a, a global warming, we might end up with as much as eight feet of higher sea levels by the year uh, 2100. So uh, 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 it's a present, clear and present danger, and education is definitely uh, the best way to get people to eventually act on climate. Yeah. Now, you can do that at, at the household level. Mm-hmm. Uh, by, I was going to uh, ask you, know, you that, exactly. Yeah, like, not only you know, it does it, you know, the ballot box, but how, how do we do that at home, too? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, conservation of energy uh, at home by, you know, setting the thermostat if you live in a, in a hot place or if it's summertime, you know, try to set your thermostat pretty high so that your AC is not running uh, uh, so many hours a day. And uh, the same in the wintertime for the cold places, you know, try to set a little, a little bit chillier and maybe uh, maybe uh, carry a blanket around or, or, or some sweats. Uh, that's, that's one way. But there's many other ways. I mean, you know, uh, uh, fuel efficient vehicles, which, which um, have been a great success in recent years, and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> we hope they'll continue to be, despite oh, yeah. some uh, some uh, new Pushbacks. regulations yeah. doing away with the old regulations. Um, or in my case, you know, I drive an electric car. It is, folks, it's not a Tesla. Okay, I can't afford that type of electric <laughs> car, but I do drive an electric car, and I live in a state where coal does not power my electric car. Yeah. So I, I feel comfortable knowing that I'm being environmentally friendly yeah. uh, by owning this uh, this vehicle. So there's many things you can do at the household level, but if we educate more and more people uh, that eventually will demand uh, from our leaders, our political leaders, mm-hmm. to act on climate and make sure, as you said, I mean, the ballot box is very important too. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, denialism, whether, whether it's truly believed in the heart from the politician or perhaps it's just a front Agenda. because they want to keep some kind of party line mm. uh, going. Uh, it, it's just uh, it's sticking your head in the sand and not realizing what's really happening out there. Yeah. So um, uh, it, this is urgent. It requires immediate action. Education is most definitely uh, one way forward, and we hope that uh, programs like th- like these uh, will help uh, uh, enlighten people. One quick question uh, before I let you go. I know you're in a rush here. Um, if uh, you know, there's this um, you know number I guess thrown around about the consensus of scientists at 97%. Um, and I, I've recently read some articles that were kind of pushing back on this a little bit. Is that the case that um, 97% of climate scientists uh, do agree, you know, are in consensus that this is happening? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an even more robust number. I mean, okay, if you go please. to the climate journals, you know, journals that uh, um, societies like the American Meteorological Society or the, the Royal Met Society from the U.K., uh, and and the European Met Society, they all have uh, scientific journals, yeah. which is where peer-reviewed scientific work is published. Uh, now, you know, the peer review process is, is quite uh, uh, quite difficult, and mm-hmm. it's very difficult to be- publish because you get pushback from uh, during the process of publishing from many scientists to make sure that your science is indeed sound. But once you're published, that means you've been through a very difficult, rigorous process uh, to make sure your science is sound. And mm-hmm. when you look at the articles that are being published in these journals, um, uh, ever since we started to look at this at this uh, problem of climate change, ninety nine point nine percent of those articles. Ninety nine point nine. are in uh, uh, support of what the mountain of evidence is most definitely supporting, which is 
uh, anthropogenic warming is happening. Uh, it's it's human and induced, and we need oh. to uh, make sure that we find ways to to curtail it. Unbelievable, um, John. Thank you again. Um, you know, I. I, I I know uh, you're taking some, a lot of time out of your day to do this, and as I mentioned, it's an honor to speak with you, and thank you for all that you do in, in spreading the word and educating the masses uh, about climate change as you did here today. So I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, and again, if, if uh, some of your listeners want to uh, learn more about uh, some of the things that I post about climate change, yeah. uh, you can find me on different platforms. Uh, my handle is at John Morales NBC6, which is my uh, TV station where I'm chief meteorologist here in Miami, uh-huh. at John Morales NBC6. Awesome. So fine, John, and thanks again, John. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. As you can see, um, John knows his stuff and he conveys it with such grace. So uh, I want to say thanks again to John Morales for coming on. Um, that was that was pretty special. So for now, for the second half of the podcast, um, let's take a look at the other side of the coin. Um, when it comes to climate change, obviously there's you know like any argument, there's there's two sides and. Um, I got to thinking about, you know, the climate deniers you hear about and 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 it just it's kind of struck me that I I've never really ever heard them out. I've never really it's not in my realm. I I I haven't been around many who who do deny it or are skeptical. It's just something it's so accepted in my world and and I got I kind of you know, I got to thinking how uh I wanted to hear, you know, just at least the arguments. What's 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 going on here and um, you know, so I did some research, and the first person I reached out to was Joe Bastardi, and um, uh, I'm shocked uh, that he responded. And um, after some prodding, um, he agreed, uh, which was which was remarkable. For those who are not in the know, Joe Bastardi, he's a professional meteorologist for um, AccuWeather for many many years, decades, I believe, um, and now for WeatherBell. Um, and uh, he, over the years, has been ex- extremely well known for his opinions on global warming. He's uh, considered by the left to um, to be a climate denier, um, and you know his opinions are controversial uh, to say the least. But um, personally, I, you know I've only seen clips of him uh, debate Bill Nye and and random clips of him on Sean Hannity's show and. Uh, you know, and after I got you know obsessed with the idea of hearing the other side, um, uh, you know, getting getting Joe to do this is was a big deal to me, and um, he certainly is one of the most prominent voices skeptical of the growing movement to curb climate change, um, and uh, you know, I'm very thankful that he did come on, and and we, you know, I I I got a chance to really hear him out. Um, now, my guess is there's many out there that might question uh, why I would have Joe on the podcast or, you know, after hearing the interview, might think that I went easy on him or, you know, would have liked if I debate or challenged him, not that I'm claiming to have that capacity. Um, but for me, it, it, that was never the point. Um, I truly want to hear as much as possible about his positions and opinions. Uh, and I believe there's so much power in that knowledge. Um and plus, that's what this podcast is about. Um, as beyond the margin, uh, it, it, it's it's a st- it's still a safe place 
for uh, ideas of all kinds. So I, I, I do. I truly encourage you all to take a listen and hear Joe out. So I was surprised. Uh, I was surprised by his um, inquisitive nature and and uh, and his resilient attitude concerning his um, uh, demonization in the press. And uh, and I and I'll admit it. Since since we spoke, I've I've been doubling down on my research about climate change and and trying to educate myself uh, even more and um, from every point, from every angle. And and uh, isn't that what it's all about, really? Um, so um, you know, while anyone who knows me. And this podcast um, most certainly knows, you know, my opinions on climate change. But uh, I found found it enlightening to hear Joe's takes, um, and I'm thankful to Joe for coming on the podcast. So, uh, uh, so here is my um, discussion with Joe Bastardi. Hello, uh, Joe. Yes, hi. This is Mike Shields. How you doing? Good. Good. Um, First off, thank you. I, I, I know you were a little hesitant at first, so I want, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, trusting in the interview. And, and like I, I told you in the email, I am not going to squander that trust. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really surprised that, uh, uh, I mean, uh, for instance, I'm in a movie with Bill Nye because uh, the guys that were producing it, uh, they were very persistent and uh, uh, I feel that they'll give me an even shake as yeah. to who I am and what I'm talking about. So, you know, I, I like, I mean, your, I thought your persistence. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was hoping, you know, when we had a little back and forth that you can kind of feel out that, you know, I was, I had, I had nothing but the right intentions and just kind of want to expose, uh, not just my listeners, but just, you know, myself to. Yeah. I, the, the, the problem, the problem is that the, the, the loony bin that's turned into today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's such a shame because, uh, you know, I believe I'm a free thinker, sure. and I believe I'm the, I'm the natural offspring of uh, what we were taught in the '70s to question authority. Absolutely, and I, I don't understand what I see from the left now. I, I, I can't even believe it. it. It's like the it's like a. I, I, I'm, I'm like, are you kidding me? This is what's come to the very people that have, you know, we're singing who stopped the rain, uh, praising, uh, praising, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, golden chains that they're being wrapped up. I, I, I can't even believe it. But, yeah. You know, I, no, it, it is true. But I, and I am starting to see, you know, a lot of people who I have in my life are liberal. But there, there is a little bit of liberal backlash in the way that people are wondering why there isn't more questioning of. Uh, you know the authority. Well, a liberal. The word liberal is not everybody just fall in line and do the same yes, thing. Yes, exactly. It, it, mean, it, it implies constant, you know, constant open mindedness. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, the, the country, for instance, if the country were serious about its politics, the the correct the correct election would be uh, Bernie Sanders versus Rand Paul. Absolutely. I mean, just just have have the ideolo- ideological debate. Do you want progressive uh, progressive socialism or do you want you know, a, a, a constitutional-based uh, idea where there's limited government. You know, and so, but but you see you see what happens, and uh, you know, guys like me go, well, how do you break four different laws? Yeah, and that that's okay. And yet uh, another guy, I mean, if the guy that's in office now, everybody wants to kill him, and I'll tell you why. Because if he comes in there and gets the job done, he destroys everything. I yeah. mean, you know, he's never, never guy never had an office in his life, and yet when we were back. 
when we're back younger, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'd say, man, if only we could get a guy where no one could buy him off, you yeah. know? Who can like go in just, there? But I don't, yeah, yeah. I guess we're wondering if that is the case, if he can't be bought off. Um, you know, I mean, he's definitely trying to tear it down, but I guess the question is, you know, can he be bought? It's, it's, it's. Well, the thing is, the thing is, he hasn't been bought off. Yeah. This whole thing, I, I can't even believe. You know, I, I watched the whole Watergate, uh, what happened with Watergate. Yep. I've never seen anything like this. What, what they're doing is totally different. I mean, you know. In, in what way? I, I honestly, I, you know, I don't have the, the historical perspective on Well, Watergate, there was a crime. There was a, there was a crime committed that yeah. initial, initially, the only crime that's been committed is one of the candidates had a private server that she was not supposed to have. Yeah. And everybody, his mother hacked into it and knows what she had. Yeah. And then you see, I, I don't understand. I don't even understand, for instance, why the Russians would want Trump in there. I mean, maybe it was some these Russian hackers in Macedonia sitting in their basement because they could break in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you had uh, what's his name broke into NASA at the age of sixteen, Julian Assange. Yep. But he claims it was he claims it was never Russia. The guy's never lied before. So what I'm trying to figure out is why would if you're a bully like Putin, yep. why would you want another bully? I, I mean, Clinton's the one that sold him twenty percent of our uranium and yep. pushed the Russian reset. And I was, you know, you talk about. People go, oh, Russia, they colluded with them. I'm going, what's Obama? Obama before the election telling the the prime minister, hey, I'll have, uh, you know, literally saying I'll be able to do whatever you guys want to do after I get elected again. I'm like, what the heck is that? So here, here's what I'm saying. Yeah, I do and, think and, about and, that and, a lot, like intent. But, but what I'm saying is across the board, if there is an established answer mm-hmm. that so many people want, so many people want, then it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong, even about this issue. Yeah. It doesn't. See, that's a, that's a big thing I want you to understand, Michael. Sure. It does not matter because even if I'm right, okay. if 30 years from now the global temperatures are a quarter degree colder, yeah. it's not going to matter. None of this is going to stop. You think you think pulling out of Paris is stopping anything? Of course yeah. it's not. Right? It, 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 all this stuff, all this stuff is is so far gone now. That there are so many people invested, not in, in not necessarily the right answer, but the answer they believe is right, and that they want to see you be right. And their whole, uh, you know, uh, you, you say, well, why is big business supporting the Paris Accords? Because they bet uh, they bet over the years that there was going to be a Hillary presidency, mm-hmm. and it would continue a certain trend in business, and that they were going to do that. So they don't want to see that upset. But, well, but there's so many things lining up. That, well, that was yeah. So, that was one of the questions I was going to get to later after I found any point. But like, did you? Feel, well, let's start this. Let's start this anyway. Start the, I just I just want you to know I'm a I'm a questioning person. Good. Good. I had a guy. I had Nye come in here and tell me that uh, yeah, everybody tells him that I get all my money off the oil company. Yeah. I don't get any money off. I have one speech in in six years that someone paid my company for, and the guys the guys living off the atmospheric till along with the. Al Gore, and he comes in here. He tells, he come into my house and tell me that. And yeah. I'm like, where the heck are you hearing this stuff? Yeah. Right? Well, anyway. No, no, definitely. Well, you know, first off, let me just thank you for being here and you know taking the time to talk to us. I know you're hesitant at first, and especially when I explain, you know, a lot of views and opinions that were at the website and that I have. But it does, it means a lot to me to share your views. So thank you, first off. 
Um, well, I appreciate. I, I do appreciate you asking me, and I'm not going to convince anyone. I tell people, definitely. don't believe me, yep. but I will expose them That's, to the other side of the issue. And that is, that that I is look the at. point here. I do. I do want to expose different sides. And I mean, needless to say, you're probably you know my most controversial guest I've had, and you know. Uh, but I, but I'm thrilled to expose a different point of view. So let's can, if we can start there. What what is your stance on on global warming? Where do you stand on cli- the climate change debate in uh, in America? Well, the climate's been changing forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and so you know, I tell people, I tell people, if a hundred straight times something happened and it happens again, yeah. It's most likely that it's because of the same reason it happened before. How about a thousand straight times? How about a million straight times? Mm-hmm. How about a, a hundreds of millions of years of geological record that show there's no linkage between CO2 and temperature? Mm-hmm. So, so you look at that, and your first assumption is not well. Prove to me, uh, prove to me it isn't CO2. Is prove to me it is CO2 in relation to the fact that it's never happened before. In addition, in the uh, you know over the past uh, six thousand years, uh, if you look at global temperatures, uh, warmer times than today are climate optimums mm. because life does better when it's warmer. That's the other thing. But what is what is really, what amazes me about watching all this? Most of the warming has occurred in the Arctic and Antarctic during their winters, okay. where it is so darn cold, it doesn't make that big a difference. And, you know, you know we talk about melting ice caps. If the Arctic Ocean melts, it, remember it's an ocean. Yeah. It's like melting an ice cube in a, in a glass of water. So it's the to biggest be in ways. It's just that this, this, you know, is 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 that occurring though? That the 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 ice the ice caps are melting. The ice caps are where they were in the mid seventies. Okay. Unfortunately, the graphics everybody everybody looks at. Mm-hmm. Uh, they start in the late seventies. They don't show you what went on in the mid seventies. Okay. Uh, how we had a, we had a. A pretty big min in there, but even that was, uh, you know, when I was back in the seventies, uh, when going to college. I mean, the big, the big scare was the ice age scare, yeah. and you know, I get a kick out of people trying to deny that. Oh no, no one ever said that. I get people twenty years oh, was, younger was than me. Thing? What's that? Was that a thing? Oh yeah, that, I, I, that's I, I trying to know that. Yeah, yeah, that's trying to be. But what I'm saying is, that even James, uh, James um, John Holdren. Yes. Who was President Obama's top science advisor. Yep. Go read his book he, he wrote in 1971 about the coming ice age. Oh, really? And how there were going to be famines and food shortages and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's one of the biggest proponents uh, of the other way now. It's almost like, you know, any way the wind blows. Yeah. But, look, here's the, th- here's the thing. There, is, there are things that I look at. And I see what I do is I have a I have a very competitive personality, a combative personality. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason is I you know, I wrestled through college. I yeah, mean, it's a very it's a very look. People go, who cares? What? Because you have a different mindset, okay, about things. Sure. And I wrestled at a high level at Penn State, okay. Mm-hmm. And Penn State's now the number one team in the country. Mm-hmm. We're in the top ten, ever, right? So I'm, I'm just saying. So the idea is that combat and competition improves. The person doing it—that's yeah. the idea that you—you're combative. So what I do is I go look at everything the other side has, mm-hmm. 
And I said, well, this makes, this makes sense. That makes sense. That's possible. This is possible. But is it assuredly true, given all that we've seen before? Mm-hmm. And why is, it, why is it also? I mean, look at 2005. After the big hurricane season in 2005, everybody, you know, on that side was saying, this is it. It's all coming. The apocalypse with hurricanes. And I, first of all, I, I kept pointing out that the frequency of major hits in 05, 04 matched 1915, 1960. Okay. People, I mean, so I'm looking at this stuff, so, and I'm saying, well, wait a minute. This happened before, back then. CO2 was, you know, 300 parts per million or whatever it was back then, right? Much lower than it was at this time. Mm-hmm. So why is this now the end of the world? And then you, you, can, you see what happens. How many people, and John Kerry stood up when he was running for president in 2004, and made a claim that the Arctic ice cap was going to be gone in 2013. Wow. I saw, I saw uh, 2007, which was a very low uh, min, and said, well, this is it. This is the Arctic death spiral. That's going to all be going away. And the Arctic's ice free in the summer is coming up right around the corner. Here we are. And it's not happening. Okay. You see, here's a, here's a big problem about the Arctic ice cap. The winters are getting warmer. Okay. And why are the winters getting water warmer? Because the number one greenhouse gas is water vapor, and the oceans are warming up. Now, why would the oceans be warming up? Well, there's something called the meridional overturning circulation. This is centuries in the making. What you see now didn't just happen because of someone's SUV. This is The ocean is very slow to change, mm-hmm. has a thousand times the heat capacity of the air. It releases CO2 into the atmosphere when it warms naturally. Mm-hmm. But if you increase the water vapor, here's a dirty little secret about water vapor. Yeah. If it's very cold and dry, it's a, it, 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 only a small amount of water vapor raises the temperature. Now, why is that? Because temperature is a measure of energy. And when, when it's very, very warm, it takes, even, it takes more to get it warmer. When it's very cold, I'm sure you've driven around on a cold morning. You're looking at your thermometer and says, well, wait, it was five below. Now it's five above. How does it jump up and down so fast like that? Because when it's very cold, it takes almost nothing to take the, to take the temperature up. When it's dry, the same kind of thing. So where's the warming taking place is taking place in those winters and that that nobody lives in the arctic and nobody lives in the antarctic where people actually live if you look at the last 25 years there's been very little warming some in the western united states certainly eastern china Mm -hmm. but all through these southern regions i'm I'm hearing people go it's climate change it's leading to this big immigration wave and i'm like well there's nothing changing in there if you look at the means there hasn't been any increase. So when I look at things, I watch these statements coming out, the worst ever, this is happening, yeah. that's happening, right? Hottest year on and, record and all that, yeah. And, and, and it goes right into the media, mm-hmm. even today, even today. I saw an article that said the EU is blaming a colder-than-normal winter in Europe right. for increased emissions. Mm. Well, the winter wasn't colder than normal in Europe, unless one considers Turkey Turkey part of Europe. Now, I understand Turkey is, but most of the UK, northwest France, northern Germany, right through Scandinavia, northern Poland, all these areas were above normal this winter. Okay. All right? And, and you know, most of Germany was near normal. So what's the possible reason for that? Well, there may be something, for instance, th- I want you to think about this, okay? If people are migrating from south to north, Okay, if they're they're you know to escape whatever uh, political uh, affairs going on, 
if they're migrating from their place to a colder place, maybe setting your thermostat at 65 isn't acceptable to them. So they're setting their thermostat closer to 70. I don't know. But they're not leaving those areas because it's so darn hot or it's getting hotter because it's been that way. It's like with John Kerry. He's trying to blame a drought in Nigeria for uh, Boko Haram. And I looked at Nigeria precipitation has been well above normal over the last 20 years. There's no drought in Nigeria, Mm -hmm. right? And and so when you got to understand, Michael, and to your audience, when I see these statements being made and just accepted, and I can and and you know I'm I'm as I use climatology, I use the past mm-hmm. to form a foundation to stand on today to reach for the future. The combination of understanding what happened before and looking at the marvelous things we've got developed today leads to a better chance of getting the forecast right. Yep. So what did I do? I I've, I've been taught to dwell. And been taught by my dad, who's a meteorologist, go look at what happened before, mm-hmm. and it'll give you a hint when the other guy doesn't see it. So I hear these things. you got to understand, folks, I hear these things, and I say, well, wait a minute. Why isn't someone questioning that? Yeah. Why is everybody just saying, yeah, this is the worst ever? You know, so I, it's, you know, I, have, a questioning, I have a questioning mind about yeah. that, and I, that's what I was taught in science, but, you know. No, no that, that, all, that all makes sense. I, I have heard you state that... Um, we really can't know until a uh, period through 2030. So I kind of want to move into CO2 a little bit. If CO2 is a real player or not, what um is that something? Well, I think CO2. Look, I think. Look, I am not saying it has no effect at all. Okay, good. But in the realm, in the realm, look, it's 0.04 percent of the atmosphere. Okay. I, I, I just think about this: if you decrease CO2 10 percent, what do you think happens to the air temperature? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it cools. I don't, that may cool slightly. Now, what if you increase solar radiation by 10%? What do you think is going to happen? Okay. Okay. What if you what if the oceans flip their cycles and start cooling? What do you think is going to happen? They have a thousand times the heat capacity of the air. What if two volcanoes go off? In the wrong places, like, you know, 1991, 92, we had yeah. a big Pinatubo or Krakatoa. Back. What if two, two major volcanoes go off in the tropics where that ash gets up and can't be taken out over the tropical oceans? There's a decrease in radiation. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen, right? So when you start looking at the entire system and all these things that for some reason, and I'm, I mean, the, 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 uh, the sum of all these things have always led to the back and forth natural to the climate system because of the design of the planet, more land in the northern hemisphere, more water in the southern hemisphere, rotating around an inconsistent star, which is the sun, all right, elliptical orbit. There's a natural conflict there, and no one knows has ever described what is the perfect temperature of the planet. What is the perfect temperature for life on the perfect amount of CO2 for life on the planet given man exhales 100 times more CO2 than he inhales mm-hmm. and the planet is now greener than it's ever been in the satellite era because we have so much vegetation growing. So what, what are these answers over here? Anybody ever bring that up? Anybody want to uh, t- uh, talk about that? No. So, yeah. I I like talking about it. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I, you know, to go back, is that um, is that date um, is there a significance? I, I was reading something you wrote about the triple crown of cooling, uh, and yeah. I think you just mentioned some of that, comprising of you know, um, ocean temperature, solar radiation, and volcanic cycles. Is so? Is there a, there a point you're waiting to learn more? Is there a significance of that time period? 
Well, there's, 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 up until now, yeah. and the design of the system, I updated and called the Grand Slam of Climate. Okay, oh, uh, you did, okay. What's the, yeah, what's but, the, what's the uh, Up until now, uh-huh. that's been the, that's been the only uh, dog in the, uh, only uh, dog in the show. Yeah. So, uh, and now all of a sudden, you know, CO2's been coming along, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it's another thing to consider. It's oh, so always been before. there. CO2, yes, there, there's, okay. a, there's a, there's a lot of thought, like, for instance, Dr. Will Happer, who's a, I get a kick out of Dr. Will Happer. Mm-hmm. They demonize the daylight zone because he might be Trump's science advisor. I don't know. Yeah. But the guy's, a, the guy's a world's premier nuclear physicist at Princeton. Mm-hmm. And they, because he takes his stand, all of a sudden he's a, he's a pumpkin. Yeah. I mean, I, I, and that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I like going issue by issue. You take Dr. Michael Mann at Penn State, my mm-hmm. alma mater. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, he, if you look at everything Dr. Mann has written, He's a great scientist. Yeah. So there's a disagreement with what he what he says right now. But somehow or the other, that'll make me an evil person because I said, well, you know, I question this. I don't believe this. I don't think we should be setting policy on such a thing mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. the computer modeling, the computer modeling has been abysmally wrong on, on this whole thing and how warm it was supposed to get. Right. So all these things, all these things, they question authority, not accept authority. Mm-hmm. And before you want to, I, I wrote a, I wrote a uh, you know, short summation of my climate uh, position, and that is there's three things. How much, if anything, is man contributing to this? I think it's worth a, worth a look. Number two, is it worth slapping these draconian, draconian laws, putting whole businesses out of business, mm-hmm. okay, okay, to save now, get this. This is from Gina McCarthy, mm-hmm. all right? The former EPA director, mm-hmm. 0.01C of temperatures over the next 30 years. You can't even measure that, by the way. Yeah. But she said the real reason was it's a good example for the rest of the world of our commitment, uh, right? Uh, okay. In the meantime, and this is, this is what the big thing about Paris is. People don't go look at the, they think, well, it's nice. Everybody's getting together and doing this, right? Well, if everybody just gets together and does something that in, in the end is just symbolic, yeah. and the United States is shelling out all the money while China keeps building a coal plant. By the way, the coal, the coal we burn in this country that they've developed is almost perfectly clean burning now. It's, oh, well. not, what they're doing, it's not what they're doing in China, folks, right? Uh-huh. And yet... And I have nothing against the Chinese people. Sure. I have nothing against them making progress for their people. But the reason they've got so much smog and we don't is we have cleaned up our act about putting soot into the air. There's a big difference between carbon soot and carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. Please understand that. Mm-hmm. So we don't put soot in the air. We don't put SO2 in the air anymore. And we've cleaned things up so much over here. And America will continue to be the leader in innovation of that. that that's just a natural process. That's what man does. That's what a free and competitive society will do. So I don't know why, just because just because he pulls out of the Paris Accord, because we're supposed to dump three billion dollars in mm-hmm. and cut our cut everything we're doing. And it's not so much that we're cutting; it's because we're being forced to. They think that well, if we force you to cut, you'll cut. Well, this country's going to cut anyway because the prevailing wisdom is to move toward that type of energy anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it, do, it really doesn't matter. And it's just just frustrating to watch all the hullabaloo. It's like, a you know, look over there. There's a squirrel. In the meantime, a bull's about to run you over. It's just... <laughs> No, that makes sense. Yeah, and I have thought a lot about the symbolic nature of it because, from what I understood, 
is the agreement is each country can still go back to their country and make their own limits that they, you know, are going to try to achieve. It's still on you. So uh, what you're saying makes Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, if, if you want to really be, you know, Machiavellian about it or whatever the word is, I don't even know. So, okay, we'll do, we'll do this and then just ignore it yeah. like everybody else does. Yeah. And we just march on our merry way and we boom the economy and there's more money for research. There's more money for other things. You know, a, a wealthier country is a healthier country and we are much able to help people. I don't think people understand how much, how much, how much is exported out of this country as far as uh, money goes to other places or technology and things like that. I mean, when, when you, we've got our faults and I understand that, but I'm sitting there going, do you realize the prosperity made possible by our system has made it so that the very people that are attacking all this, mm -hmm. the reason they can attack it is because they have computers to look at and they have this to use and that to use. And in the fossil fuel era, personal wealth globally, the global GDP has skyrocketed in the beginning of the fossil fuel era. You see, you see it from the um, 1600s just moving straight along and then it turns straight up. Longevity and the amount of people on the earth mm -hmm. have also gone uh, straight up. You wonder why we have these you wonder why we have these advancements, the hospitals, the medicine today? What would you do without fossil fuels to do it? You know what I challenge people to do? I said, tell you what, live off fossil fuels for a year. I'm not only talking about what you're putting in your car or whatever. Yeah. I'm talking about anything that needed a fossil fuel to, to be, be made, made like for you. And, and yeah, yeah, and, and try to try to think about that, mm -hmm. right? Now people go, well, what if you're wrong? Well, the, the the problem with that is it's one of these arguments. Like, well, what if I? What if you walk across the street tomorrow and a car hits you? Yeah. Right? You're, you're not you're not expecting that. And my opinion is, and if you look at the nature of heat, remember, heat is energy. The warmer it gets the tougher it is to get warmer. You have mm -hmm. to not only sustain how warm it is, you have to push more and more and yeah. more into that. So it's not like there's a tipping point where all of a sudden it takes off and, you know, it's out of control and that's that. There's always there's something called a Chatea's principle where the earth isn't trying to always find a set point. If it's too warm, it tries to cool. And if it's too cool, it tries to warm. Mm -hmm. But no one's been able to determine, Michael, what that perfect temperature is, what that set point is. And so and when someone can do that, when someone can say, the perfect temperature is this. But, you know, if he says it's a half degree cooler, does he realize how much famine that would lead to, lead to yeah. with the 7.3 billion people on the earth now? You know, what we have 20, 30, 20, 30 years ago, a lot less people live Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people are living in areas that put, are putting them in harm's way. People want to build houses on the beaches. Mm -hmm. You know, get Al Gore. Insurance costs are going up. No joke. If you, if, if you ever look at the South Carolina coast when yeah. it got hit by, uh, in 1954 by Hurricane Hazel, there was hardly anybody there. Yep. Right? Now look at it. Now right? everyone's just so, piling to the shore. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a matter. It's a, some of this has got to be a matter of looking at the entire picture, yep. not just one specific thing. Um, you hear a lot about the, the scientific consensus about global warming and, you know, numbers that I see sometimes that 90 to 95 percent of active climate researchers believe humans uh, 
are causing global warming. Is this is this idea overblown? It almost feels like a tagline at times. Is this truly the case? The consensus? Well, you have to believe you have to believe that the increase of one molecule of CO two okay. out of every ten thousand molecules of air okay. over a one hundred year period mm-hmm. over one hundred years. All right, so that's the equivalent in a ten thousand person stadium of putting one extra person in there and taking 100 years to do it, okay? That's what that is. Okay, Okay, that now is in control of the climate over the sun, the oceans, stochastic event, and the very design of the system. So you'd have to believe that. But let's look at that. Let's talk about that study, the famous study that came out. Uh, There were, out of the the people questioned, only 32.8% actually answered the questionnaire. Oh, really? And all of them, all of them had written papers in support of, uh, you know, man-made climate change, okay? Okay. okay. So, so I mean, you know, if I, if I, if I said, what about the other 68% or 67.3% that didn't answer? Well, perhaps they didn't answer because they know darn well what would happen if they, if they took a stand. I don't know what the reason was, but a lot of people didn't answer. But let me ask you this. What about the 31,000 people, 31,000 degreed scientists uh-huh. that didn't agree with the Kyoto Accords, including nine thousand PhDs. Now, what about that crew? Does that have anything to do with it? No, of course not. No one ever says anything like that. Mm -hmm. Remember something, an accord is not a treaty. A treaty needs to be ratified Mm -hmm. by by the Senate, okay? You know, if I were the president, I would say, look, this is obviously it's causing a lot of friction. People are upset about it. Put it into the Senate. Let them fight it out, and we'll see what goes on. Now, that's what I would have done, but maybe that was a coward's way of doing things. But what happens is you get these all these red herrings. So you get this report come out, and that's all everybody quotes about. Doesn't talk about the methodology of the report or the mm-hmm. question. You ask me this question, you say, do you believe humans have anything at all to do with the climate? Anything at all? Yes. I'd have to say probably yeah, something. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, but how much is that? And it, again, then you go back to the cost, and then you go back to relative to where w- the other problems we face today. How about the inner cities? Mm-hmm. How about people starving in our street? How about the homeless? All right. Mm-hmm. How about how, there's so many problems we have? And I wrote, I wrote, a, um, you know, with with, uh, with the insurance situation. You know, people don't like me saying this, but insurance is not insurance if you have to pay for something after it has occurred. That's not insurance. If my house starts burning down, I can't call my, hey, I need fire insurance now. But let me tell you what you can do. Take the billions and billions and billions of dollars that we've thrown into fighting this ghost mm-hmm. for 20 years now. I believe it's $300 billion. Oh, wow. And create a, uh, create a fund, create a fund for those of us who have pre-existing conditions and then Put the insurance and, uh, you know, for everybody else and the other. Now, (laughs) it seems to me that that would take care of a problem we know we have now rather than all the other things that are, you know, could happen or may not happen down the road. But a lot of people won't like that because, you know, with the amount invested now in the climate industry as a cottage industry, uh, you know, that would be that would be taken away uh, an input of funding to that. So but where, what's more what's more important to you, Michael, is uh, pre-existing conditions or uh, climate research? I mean, you know, to me, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, pre-existing conditions are much more important I, to me. And, of, yeah. and, and, and the fact is, look, you measure the greatness of a society by how they treat 
their least. Yes. And I have been watching. Yeah. Uh, remember, I'm 61, so uh-huh. I'm a child of the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. Michael. But I have been watching the deterioration of a whole segment of our population that mm-hmm. keeps being fed, in my opinion, a bill of goods. And I watch our inner cities, which were great. Look at them now. And I'm sitting there going, well, why isn't infrastructure money, if you're going to spend it, and this is, a, you know, I don't know if this is a conservative approach. I don't know. If you're going to spend it, why not spend it in something to try to reverse that particular situation? Or homeless in this country and the hungry in this country. And I, I, just, don't, I just don't understand it. Why destroy an industry and put not only the people that work in that industry out of business, but the entire lifeline into their communities? So that, you know, you drive through western Pennsylvania like me, mm-hmm. yeah, I take back roads. You wouldn't believe what the towns look like now. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're ghosts. South, they're becoming, southwestern uh, Virginia, I've seen a lot of Appalachia. And it's, right, it's so so you understand that. So yeah. why is an old, why is an old uh, whatever it was back there in the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. raising these questions, trying to get understand today, and it's hard to get that across because we live in such a comfortable society, and, you know, I mean, if you're, uh, you know, uh, it's just like I I don't know what to say except to say hey this is what I think and hopefully you just take a look at it if it's not just dismiss it and move on yeah but I mean so I, I just need to ask is that it's so you mentioned the cottage cottage industry is that um is the are you believing that the politics behind you know the the global warming position on the left is financially driven is that well, I don't know. I can't yeah. judge another person's motive, but let's sure. look at it. Yep. Look at how much money has been spent and how much more money is going to be spent. Plus, the, 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 the idea of so many things now based on this is very, very tough to quit. Okay, look, every day I have to fight the weather, yeah. and every day it can show me I'm wrong. Yeah. If, the climate, if the climate fight went away tomorrow, and it's not a fight, folks. A fight in a war is a fight in a war. It is supposed to be a discussion and yeah. debate among rational people. And, yeah. and here's the other thing I don't like. I don't like people pretending they're some kind of hero in some kind of war, okay. and you know, dispatches from the front lines of the climate war. I, what, what the heck is that? You know what? We had meteorologists that made that forecast for D-Day yesterday and people that died storming that beach that know what a war is. And you and I, unless we've actually been in it, have no understanding of that. So my point is this. People today try to blow something up to make them seem more important, Mm -hmm. okay? Now you may say, well, you try to do that. No, if the climate fight goes away tomorrow, guess what? There's no change in what I do in my job every day. The reason I'm involved in this, the reason I'm involved is I have used this since I was, my father taught me to use this. He's a meteorologist. He's 87 years old now. Mm -hmm. He's a meteorologist. said, you go back and study what happened before. Study what happened before. And that's what I did. I figured, listen, I may not be as smart as this guy that knows more math and physics than me, but if I know every single thing that happened before, and plus I'm fascinated by this, like history. I'm fascinated by history. So those things, those things make it a big difference. And I think people have to understand. So is it? 
Well, you know, people have to understand. People have to say, well, what happens if this issue goes away tomorrow? Where am I going? Am I hand, hand out, hanging out with Leonardo DiCaprio and, you know, appearing at all these conferences mm-hmm. or whatever? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that important to you? Believe me, there's a lot of seduction. I've been, I'm, you know, I'm TV from time to time, and yeah. I've been on TV. It's a lot of seduction in being in the media and being out front. Yeah. And it's a constant war to say, man, you got to keep your head on straight and try to look at what matters over here. Yeah. No, that thing, that, that 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 makes sense. I, I thank you for that. I, I am curious, kind of on a, on a on a personal level. I mean, in in a lot of ways, in the media, as you were just saying, you um, you, I, I think you find yourself in the minority in your viewpoint, and a lot of people, um, you know, kind of wish to demonize you. I know that was a concern of, of even talking to me. Is uh, that can't be that easy to deal with? Is is, is the heat on you? Uh, well, I, you know, I don't know because look, you know, this is going to get people mad at me too. I'm a, I'm a committed Christian, you know, yeah. despite all my weaknesses. So I'm supposed to dance in the arena of the Lord. Yeah. And if I do that, then I, you know, what am I really focused on? The problem with me is I'm, you know, hard-headed Sicilian Italian. <laughs> so I look around and I do, you know, I I, I do notice I do notice that stuff. But yeah. look, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I saw <laughs> I saw William F. Buckley and Saul Alinsky one night on firing line. I was like 12 years old. Okay. Right. I I used to watch it. Listen. Next to being a weatherman, I want to be president when I was a kid, you know. Back then, that's that was the thing to do. But I decided, uh, you know, I should be a weatherman. So, But I loved watching the political shows. Yep. So I remember I was very, very impressed with some of the things Saul Alinsky said. One of the things he says, no progress is made without conflict. Sure. I mean, in Buckley, the problem with Saul Alinsky is once you have accomplished what you want to, you shut down conflict so you can't be taken out of there. Yeah. But I read his book, Rules for Radicals, uh-huh. when it came out. Right? Isolate, demonize, and destroy, yeah. you know, because man being a social animal, man being a social animal wants to be with everybody else. So if you put somebody out there on an island and keep hammering him, he's going to break, you know, and then they're hardheads that, uh, you know, cherish the chance to be an individual. And you were taught that when you were younger, that, you know, I, I remember, you know, I'm a big, huge fan of Bruce Springsteen, which seems contradictory given my stance on some things. But, hey, uh, you know, there's, thoughts, a, yeah. there's, there's a song called Backstreets in the. Yeah. the and in, in, in there is a line in there where it says, after all this time, I've found we're just like all the rest. And the, and the mm. pain that he thinks of that, that, that happened to do, that happened to be about, a, you know, uh, uh, he was going out with someone, and I guess someone cheated, and, you know, this is what happens all the time. But I never wanted to be, I never wanted to be like all the rest. I was taught that, you know, if everybody goes and does this, and that's the wrong thing to do, uh, you know, you don't do that. So, mm-hmm. so it, it's, you know, interesting. I, I'd like to, I'd like to be more social with people that I did a lot of people on the other side that I really like and admire sure. but they don't want to have anything to do with me at all because of this whole thing yeah yeah but you know what can, what can you do you know you create your own world and you live in it I happen right. to be uh, you know blessed in that the people that are around me I look up to every one of them and most of them are now younger than me you know they still yeah. have my dad and my mom and things like that mm-hmm. so that that's that's the way I am about stuff but I'm, I don't think I'm an ogre a lot of people have hung out with me go pretty Pretty like, wait a minute, that guy's not the way yeah. I thought he was. I, I but, mean, you know, what am I supposed this to do? Conversation and everything I've seen, and you know, I did a lot of research just just coming to this conversation. I mean, just you, the way you come off is 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 different than I would have even thought. So it's, it's yeah, but you know, if you actually, if you actually, it's kind of weird. Yeah, because. If you actually watch it, a lot of times I'm, you know, cracking jokes and doing sure. this and doing that, and I, I I'm, I'm like, I, I, I don't get it. Somehow this, but yeah, what can I do? I mean, it, it, the, the things we, the things we formulate about, 
uh, one another. None of us walk in each other's shoes. So, yep. you know, I, I may I may come to a conclusion that I think, oh, all these people on the take or whatever, blah, 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 blah. But then they come to the same conclusion about me. I yep. said, well, that's not right. So maybe it's not that's right about that. So they both ways. You, you, you just yeah. never know. You never know. And I, I think that's I think that's a great attitude. One thing I really um, am appreciating this about this conversation is uh, is your questioning nature about things. And I think that's uh, a lot of people are well, I'm questioning me, Michael, I'm questioning man's interpretation nature. Look, yep. we're, we're, we don't own this planet. Yep. We don't control. The, what, it's almost like there's some kind of mass arrogance that's developing that we control this and we control that. And I think it's because deep down inside, the demons you really have to fight are inside you. Mm. And if you, if those things seem that you can't conquer those, you turn to something, say, well, I'll go over here. I mean, I, I, do, I, do, I do so much cross-examination of myself. My, my father and mother, uh, for instance, read all my blogs. And my dad said, you don't have to keep talking about how you were wrong about a certain weather event. And I go, oh, yes, I do. You know why? Because... I keep researching something that I'm wrong about. I almost have a morbid fascination with it uh-huh. until I'm satisfied with the answer. And, so and I'm always looking. I'm that, always, yeah. I'm always looking at things mm-hmm. that are questioning me, rather than saying, "Well, I was right about this. I was right about that." Believe me, I'm, you know, I remember Boris Becker. I guess it was had this quote. I don't remember any of the matches I won. I remember the ones I lost. It's the same. It's the same thing with me. That I think you you learn by losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you think you can't get beat or you think you're absolutely right, that's just arrogance about any future event. Yeah. You know, nothing, nothing's assured tomorrow. So, I mean, in this in this question, I mean, I, I guess I guess, you know, kind of to wrap it up, I guess I guess what we can say is we don't know yet. I mean, you're, you're still you're actively questioning it and always trying to figure out. But yeah, I suspect point, that. I- Go on. I suspect I suspect I have the answer. Okay. Uh, I, I, I suspect I do, but the weather events every day teach you you think you have the answer, yep. and then the atmosphere, which is a majestic, infinite system, keeps throwing different things on you. I mean, there's something called stochastic events, chaos, where it, it, it occurs all the time, that the very thing you think verifies that you are on the right path is the very thing that's setting up for you to be on the wrong path. Mm-hmm. You know, if you study history and you study the mistakes made, usually it's from people who have been on a constantly correct path and believe that there's no way they can be wrong. Yeah. I mean, you look at, if you study, if you study some of the great generals, mm-hmm. you know, whether, it, you know, you look at Napoleon at Waterloo, for mm-hmm. instance, and you look at Lee at yeah, Gettysburg, you know, Lee. There, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's an arrogance or if it's experience. That they okay. say, "Well, I can't." Be. Yeah, you know, I mean, for instance, Lee. Lee said, uh, "I guess, um, uh, I guess Lee was told that listen, we you don't have the high ground here. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta fight it, find a different battlefield." And he says, "How do I, how do I tell these guys?" That here we are, and there's the enemy, and we don't stay here, yeah. right? Yeah, so that's actually it, the movie. It, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tremendous scene, and people, yep. you know, nowadays, you know, if you bring up Lee, it means you think this. I'm just talking about. Absolutely. This is. The, I'm the, talking about strategy. looking at someone who, whether you like him or not, mm-hmm. the guy really 
really uh, was a, a very good a very good general. Despite my wrestling coach at Penn State didn't like him, said no. He kept splitting his forces, and he was lucky, and he yeah. never had the. It was funny because he got into it, and of course his father, his great his great grandfather fought at Vicksburg, so I understood what was going on there. He fought on the side of the North. Okay, but, so but it, it's just it's just funny. You if you study history mm-hmm. and you watch what's going on today. You can see the you can see parallels, and maybe that's you know uh, me deluding myself. But then again, I go, well, have you gone back and looked at this? Have you gone back and looked at that? Do you know that, mm-hmm. the, for instance, you hear uh, Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island, Senator from Whitehouse, the hurricanes are worse than ever, right? Well, how he doesn't even understand that the reason there's a radar fence on the East Coast is because in 1961, Theodore Green, mm-hmm. who was a senator from Rhode Island, got sick of Rhode Island being hit by hurricanes. The city of Providence had been underwater a few times from hurricanes coming up the east coast there were eight major hurricanes in seven years between 54 and 60 yeah. so they built the radar fence so they could see what's going on uh-huh. and yet a sitting a sitting senator is sitting there saying that and there's nothing have you seen eight major hurricanes hit the east coast in seven years we have not no, see, so I mean, we had Sandy, mm-hmm. which was an extreme event. I even wrote about that. Do you, you know Sandy? I wrote a paper called "The Philadelphia Story" okay. about three years before about how Philadelphia could go underwater yeah. if you had a hurricane of Sandy stature. It would have had to hit a hundred miles further south on the Delaware coast, where shoved all the water up Delaware Bay while the rainwater was coming down the Delaware River. You could put the port of Philadelphia and Wilmington underwater. People say. It's like a monster story. People go, well, how could that happen? I go, why hasn't it happened? Yeah, yeah. Right? Why hasn't it happened? Why couldn't it happen this year, right? There's nothing in the weather that has a boundary. We seem to think it does, but mm-hmm. but we don't. And this is what I'm talking about. Listen, don't trust authority. Yep. Trust your own abilities, but always question and search for yourself. If it's that important, you want to get out in the street and scream and yell, listen, God bless you, that's your right. But at least look at all sides of the issue and try to come to a, a, a point where you say, I need to, I need to look more this or I need that yep. because I'm not going to convince you but I may be able to at least uh, you know tweak your mind and maybe you'll think hey maybe this guy's a little bit different from uh, some of the ways some of the ways people think he is absolutely make, make you think a little bit and what you just said there I really respect so and uh, I respect you being here today too and and, and, and you know kind of telling us well hopefully you don't there. get so, hopefully you don't get too much hassle out of it <laughs> but, uh, you know I what really are you doing giving this, I, uh, you know, that's the other here. thing too go on no, no, Michael, nobody denies that the climate changes. In fact, one of the things I said in a speech about back in 2008 is we should call it natural climate change now because, you know, they're calling global warming. And when, yeah. uh, you know, there wasn't warming, now we're climate change. You're a climate change denier. Not <laughs> <laughs> all I've been saying. It, if it's if something cyclical, it has to be changing. Yep. So, and I, I look at that and people just, you denier, you denier. And I, I look at it as an insult to some of the things that uh, people, you know, that actually happened in history. People, uh, you know, actually do deny. And yeah. I go, what are you doing yeah. doing that? But what is that for? You, know, you want to isolate, demonize, and destroy somebody? You make, them, you make them defend that position rather than the position that we should be looking at sure. for those of you with open mind and uh, men of goodwill yeah. and women of goodwill yeah. and everybody of goodwill. I don't care if you're a Martian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, and I, and I hope everyone who listens to this does have an open mind to what you're saying. And there's, I actually made a bunch of notes of things I'd like to look up. And uh, either way, uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and, and explaining this side of things for it means a lot. So thank you so much, Joe. 
All right. Well, Michael, no matter what you stand on this, everyone enjoy the weather because it's the only weather you got. I like that. Thank you again. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye. Right. Take care. And there we have it. I'd like to thank John Morales and Joe Bastardi once again. Um, that I think we all have a whole, uh, have been left with a whole lot to chew on, and uh, it was kind of fun, uh, a fun exercise, and unique to see those um, you know divergent but very passionate opinions kind of sitting there right next to each other. So, um, regardless, uh, thank you uh, all out there for taking a. Another journey beyond the margin with me, and um, you know, uh, we we do regardless of what your take is. We have uh, we have this one planet, we have this one time upon it, and um, so we should we should definitely do all we can to make to coddle her and uh, make sure make sure we're, we're we're keeping taking care of our mother, so to speak. Um, but uh, thanks again. Across the Margin Podcast.